Hey folks, and welcome to Growth Triggers. This is a new segment we're piloting on Deconstructor, a fun podcast focusing on all matters growth. Now, Growth Triggers has two hosts, Eric Suford, founder of Mobile Dev Memo and Heracles Media. Eric is a man who served as head of growth at several top gaming companies and by far the most knowledgeable person to talk about growth that I know of. And your second host is, host is myself, Mishka Katkov, founder of Deconstructor Fun and Savage Game Studios. My background is on the product management and studio leadership side of games. Now, why our background is somewhat relevant is because in this segment, we'll tackle the topics from both marketing and product perspective. So as we're developing this segment, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover and what we can do to improve. I hope you enjoy the show. And I hope we're able to earn all five stars. Before we start, as always, big thanks to our sponsors. Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's Incrementality Solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Well, good morning, Eric. You're really badly jet lagged now in Estonia, Tartu, Estonia. So how, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling okay. Good morning to you. We're both in morning mode as opposed to as opposed to um, our usual setup, which is me being in morning mode and you being in evening mode. Now, usually, usually you would ask like, what's, what's great about Estonia and Tartu? But let me ask you the other way around. What's better in Texas? <laughs> Is <it> still... <laughs> we, um, remember, we only have one hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess uh, if you like wearing shorts in December, Texas is better. <laughs> because that's exactly what I was doing two days ago. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty brutal out here. It's really dark and and um, and just cold rain. That's what's up. But we're not. You gonna know what I? Yeah. I, I just one one job that I forgot existed because I mean I lived in I lived in Europe for ten years and I've been gone for like three or back in the U.S. for like three and I completely forgot that this job existed. Was the guy that drives around um, at like seven in the morning and replaces the the like those gross carpets that go in the in like the entryway of buildings <laughs> that get all nasty and muddy yeah like i saw a guy yesterday with the van and he had you know just a, these carpets stacked up and he was going in and he's pulling out the old gross slushy carpets and putting in the new fresh carpets for people like rub their feet on i forgot i totally being gone from here for like three years i forgot that that job that's like a job that someone has that you know is run by a company that's dedicated to swapping out those carpets i totally forgot that existed (laughs) well well, a lot in everywhere in europe especially in the northern parts yeah yeah it's i mean hey somebody needs to do the job (laughs) (laughs) can't be taking all your shit inside the stores so why not um all right uh let's talk about uh, well as always we've been talking half of this year about idfa but i wanted to to focus this growth triggers more on the product management side of idfa um so when, when we look at the other uh, company level i mean this is well documented we wrote this down a deconstructor fun um blog post is like the th- six things that your company needs to do yesterday meaning what do, how do you need to prepare to for the idfa deprecation so Number one was getting agile, so adapting quickly to the unknown with your internal and external BI tools, learning as much as possible in the shortest amount of time, testing, testing, testing. Number two was figuring out the best messaging to maximize maximize the opt-in rate, because even if you're getting only a small percentage of users to opt-in, it's still valuable data that you can leverage in your marketing campaigns going forward. But again, this opt-in, there's been a lot of discussion. Some people have been doing tests. Some of them are being quite positive. You know, JK has been super negative regarding the opt-in, so we don't really know, but I think it makes sense to still try to optimize it. Uh, Number three was to redefine your performance marketing methodology, 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 fuck, I can't even pronounce the same, methodology, Uh, because ROAS will be severely limited when ad is displayed, and there's no way to reliably track revenue generated from that ad, even at the campaign level, and campaigns also have a hard limit of 100 per network per app. So uh, yeah, and, and anyway, number four was learning to distinct between paid and organic users because developers will have to figure out the organic baseline to their game. And then based on that, triangulate the effectiveness of paid channel per country. Number five was investing into CRM. So retargeting becomes much more difficult. And if you have some kind of a program, some kind of email campaigns where your players can, can jump in and, and, and be a part of it, that's really useful. And number six is the most product oriented stuff. And that was mastering the first 24 hours of user life cycle. So with Facebook's value optimization campaign being out, you can't really show ads to people who are likely to maximize the amount of spending they generate and are not on the menu. In the, so the, these are not on the menu in the post-IDFA era. So in the new world, users will be signaled only once inside the first 24 hours. And this pushes for the changes in the event mapping to focus on early signals of long-term engagement and monetization. So what do you think about these six points? Um, they're good. I think just a couple kind of updates, right? Because I think that post was, that was, you posted that right around the time we did the podcast and that was kind yeah. of early days. Yeah, I think that was in and, Yeah, and we, we've kind of learned a lot since then. So first of all, Facebook has said that VIA will be back. 
Mm -hmm. um, not probably not. Well, the most recent data from Facebook actually comes from right before this was all supposed to go into effect. So it's even even the most recent data we have from Facebook is kind of old. But um, they've said that VO will uh, be available at some point, um, even with you know the ATT uh, you know framework uh, being implemented, they will be able to do a, a uh, sorry VO campaign. Um, but they haven't indicated how much you know whether that will, will will go live once ATT becomes mandatory, because that whole timeline is is not clear for, for anyone. Um, you know the rumors that I heard that I've heard is that it's going to be mandatory starting March. Um, but anyway, a, uh, Facebook has said that VO will be an option. So you will be able to do VO campaigns, even with the ATT framework, um, Good. Made, made mandatory. Uh, I think the other thing is that I, I feel like the general consensus now is that people don't care about opt-in rates. So, um, you know, a lot of companies are saying that, you know, companies that I've been speaking with and just, just hearing from, you know, people at various, um, you know, companies that, that I'm not particularly tied to, but I'm just talking to them. Kind of casually is that they're not it's not worth um even showing the att pop-up um for in most cases they're just they're just not gonna they're gonna completely avoid doing that mm -hmm. um they feel like it just inserts a friction point into the onboarding process and there's not that much to gain even if the, the people opt in i think the issue with the att opt-in right is that it's 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 gonna be biased data that you get from those people it's 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 a very strange thing to do to opt into that uh that that kind of like harshly worded pretty explicit yeah. uh uh you know kind of um, pop up and so the people that do they're gonna there's gonna be some skew to that there's gonna be something um you know biased in that decision to do that and so it, it feels like even if you get a meaningful amount of people to do that which I think right now we're not seeing that any apps that have instituted that are seeing a, a meaningful amount of people opt in but even if you did, it would be skewed data that wouldn't be helpful. You wouldn't be able to model anything on that data and then use that for the broader population. So that I think that the kind of prevailing wisdom now, and again, this is all subject to change because this is changing on a like sort of month to month basis. But right now the prevailing wisdom is that people won't even show, uh, that it's better to not even show the ATP prompt. Hmm. That's interesting. So the only the freaks will basically accept it. They're like, I don't care. Just track me <laughs> across all the devices. My data is your data. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Because it's just like, well, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not an interesting guy. Like, track me. Do whatever you want. My data is useless, right? Like, isn't that the kind of mentality? I, I don't know. It's just it would be an odd thing to do to opt into that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely decline everything if, if there's an opportunity. But it's weird because you decline that, and then at the same time you're trying to, you know, go to a web page like some news page, and they're like, hey. There's going to be cookies and whatever. We're going to track you. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't care. Just show me the news. Yeah. Well, that's another thing I forgot about Europe, man. You go to any website and it's like half the site is dominated by the GDPR opt-in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even if you go back to the same, like, I think I need to accept it every day when I read the news. Like, yeah. oh, can we track you today? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still read, want to read the news. And then tomorrow, like the same site, <laughs> no, national news site. Can we track yeah. you? Yeah, 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 you can track me. <laughs> I still want to read the news. <laughs> <laughs> can we know where you are? No, but you can track me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hail to the Europe. Um, all right. So we're out with, so VO is still going to be in and the, uh, the best messaging is out, but agile um, marketing mythology distinction between organic users and investing into CRM are still there. What do you think about the CRM thing? This is kind of a, there are companies that invest into it, like, you know, just 
of top of my mind would be, you know, Supercell is one. They have their Supercell ID uh, with the, with the newsletter and everything. There's there's a good good base for a strong CRM system, especially with their growing portfolio of of, um, of investments. Uh, what do you think about CRM overall for games? I, I think it's, that's going to be the whole. That's going to be the new frontier of um, competitive advantage. I, I think so. If you say CRM, I mean, I think a lot of people think about CRM as like the nurture, the drip emails that you get. You know, when you join a new service, you get like three emails or something, or just um, you know having like a customer feedback kind of communication channel. And but CRM is, I think, to me, encompasses a lot of stuff. And and in all of the personalization, um, you know, efforts that you see a lot of game companies investing into now, to, to me, to my mind, sort of sit within that CRM uh, framework, and that that is just going to be the new frontier of of optimization um because you and i i mean i've written a couple of posts about this on mobile debt memo um i think the most recent one well if, if you just search for skn network on mobile debt memo you see a bunch but um basically you what you don't get like so what a lot of people were doing in terms of just maximizing revenue for their game it was and were app right in general was just like you know you, you were being really lazy um about kind of doing any sort of like audience segmentation uh post install because they didn't have to they didn't have to put a lot of effort into that because facebook did all of that for them you went and you told facebook hey find me the the, the most valuable possible users and facebook did all that filtering it did all that testing it, it took all your ad creatives and it just matched and we talked about this i think last time um with the fake ad stuff it, it matched all, all these different very you know sort of like specifically defined um, segments to, to the, the perfect ad creative for those segments and brought them in. And you had just a bunch of like the, the, the sort of like most curate, they had the most curated kind of inbound stream of high quality users coming because of, because of Facebook and Google and, and, and their sort of, um, their sort of systems. Well, you don't have that anymore. Right. And now what you're going to get is a fire hose of just, you know, just a random, you know, kind of smattering of people. And it's going to be on the developer to actually filter those people out um, and actually try to kind of optimize their journey and sort of like maximize their LTV. Um, and so all of that is going to be done with just kind of like early stage personalization and testing that user with like various kind of, um, you know, stimuli uh, to, to, to see how they react, to see like kind of what path they go on. Right. And that that'll be how you optimize monetization. You won't get that whole like kind of pre-filter of the Facebook, you know, experimenting and, and sort of optimizing for the right kind of users. You, you'll just be getting this kind of like broad um, selection of different people. And you're going to have to actually find the ones that are like the highest opportunity uh, players and, and the people with the most potential and then put them on that track, put them on the track to sort of realize that potential, that, that kind of LTV potential. So that's that's going to be the way that you know, game companies um, excel now. And I think some, I've seen some companies that, that were putting effort into this like pre kind of IDFA announcement, but I think like a lot of companies have just accelerated all that work to try to make sure that when a user comes in, they find out really quickly if they think that that user um, is a quality user. And then if they do, then they personalize that experience for them to kind of activate that high potential LTV. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's really the uh, the mastery in the first twenty four hours. So why is this twenty four hours important? It's just do you, like it says, you know, user will be signaled only once inside the twenty four hours. What does that mean in, in in practicality? That's just what Facebook has said. So you know, there's the whole with um, 
with ATT and the SKN network post back, there's this whole timer system, right? And so um, the timer system reset, and if anybody, you know, needs background on this at this point, just, you know, go to mobile that memo and, and I don't want to go, go into the details of that. But anyway, the timer system can reset basically a, a number of times, like up to 64 times, theoretically, um, because there's 64 different conversion events that you could trigger. And anytime the user triggers a higher one than is currently on mm. record, um, and does so within 24 hours of having triggered that last one, then the timer resets, right? So what Facebook has said is, we, well, we don't want to wait a long time before, before receiving the post back, right? Because we want to get that post back from the user as basically as soon as we can so that we can update our, our models, right? We can update our priors around all the targeting that we're doing with these different campaigns. Um, and so we're only going to monitor for those conversion events for 24 hours after install. And anything that happens after 24 hours, we're not going to monitor that anymore. And so therefore the timer wouldn't reset. So basically what they're saying is we're only going to look for those, those conversion event triggers within 24 hours. And then there's a secondary kind of randomized timer after that, that could go up to, up to 24. Um, so, so basically like they, this, that's just a, a way of limiting the amount of time between the install and when, and when the user, um, when the user's post back is sent. So it's maximum 72 hours, right? Because they're going to look for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And let's say that the, the event trigger happened at like the hour 24. So inside that window and there's a 24 hour timer, right. Um, that you have, that, that has to expire, um, after that. So then that's 48 hours. And then there's a, there's a secondary timer that could be up to 24 hours. That's random that also has to expire. And so once, so that's, you know, after 48 hours, the secondary timer triggers and that could be up to 24 hours itself. So it's up to 72 hours later the post back is being received by Facebook. Got it. So you basically need to have somebody to play your game inside 24 hours after install, which is not, you know, it typically happens, but not always. Sometimes you just install yeah. games and you play them, you know, later on. Right. So, um, all right. Um, okay. So j let's jump in on and, and think about more. Well, this was product side, but let's think more about from the product side. So as a product manager, well, I'm not a PM anymore, but uh, as, a, as a PM, what would I be seeing in my dashboards after the IDFA deprecation? Like, would, would something be different? Would I be worried about something? You know, like my basic dashboard is basically the, the, the retention numbers, the monetization numbers, um, nothing nothing major on the high level, right? Uh, no, because all that stuff is happening on the server side, right? Exactly. So you're just getting that, like a user comes in and an account's created, right? And so that could even be, that could be a tie to the IDFV or they could have registered or whatever, but you'll, you'll know all that just the same. Um, you just won't, you won't have that by channel anymore. Yeah. Right. So if you had like a drill down and you said, okay, show me all Facebook users, um, then that that's not possible anymore. Exactly. And, and I can't even separate between paid and organics, right? No, no. Um, I think so. I've heard there's been a lot of kind of chatter about, um, the ability to do probabilistic attribution. Um, and so what that means is, is, you know, a user comes in and you just kind of look at their behavior and you um, make a determination about what channel they were sort of sourced from on the basis of their behavior, right? So like you'd say, okay, this user comes in and hey, this, this user, is, it looks good. And a lot of Facebook users are good. And so it's probably a Facebook user, right? And it's like, it's like the Spazian determination, right? Like, okay, they, they look like this user. They, they look like users that are come from this channel. And so therefore they're probably from this channel. And so we assign them some probability of being from that channel. So I, I think that this is not going to be feasible. I don't, I don't think that this is something that's going to work well. You're not going to have enough success signals to sort of 
maintain the models like what what does the facebook user look like um and then i i just think that there's too many different channels and i don't think there's enough differentiation between the behaviors especially like early on um maybe after like 72 hours there's some but it's just it's it's not enough given that there's like potentially you know i don't know up to up to probably 10 core channels that that, that would you'd have to distinguish between i don't think that's going to work but what i think you could do and what i think um probably is like a you know tractable problem to solve is 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 using that same kind of methodology to determine whether users paid or organic so whether a user was paid in general or organic. And so what, what you would use that for is to say, okay, well, paid, that's kind of interesting that, to know that this user was paid, but there's not a whole lot we do with that. But if we know that this user was organic, well, then we know what our organic ratio is, right? And that's super useful in the kind of more macro level type of modeling that people are going to be doing from now on. Like I've talked about on mobile dev memo, like media mix models, it's like high level kind of looking at inputs and outputs and trying to determine like what the efficiency of your ad spend is well if you know what your organic ratio is or you have a pretty good idea mm -hmm. um then that's really helpful in terms of like determining um you know how efficient your ad spend is and, and that kind of thing so my sense is that their tools will emerge and i think a lot of companies would just build, build this in-house for trying to guess whether someone's organic or paid based on their early behavior mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so basically just like uh, some kind of tool to see the k factor more more feasibly right and it, so you would and it, you wouldn't know which users, right? Or I mean, you, you could, and, but you probably wouldn't care. You would really, you'd probably just care about the percentage, right? And like how that's changing over time with your ad spend going up or down, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so let's, well, you know, dashboards is, is not really a PM tool. It's just basically for the whole team. Well, what is a PM tool is A-B testing and offers. So yeah. A-B testing without knowing where the player is coming from, especially early on in the game, sounds pretty crazy. Right. I mean, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be tough. I mean, a lot of the personalization tools that I've seen deployed, um, the source was one of the biggest, you know, one of the most important inputs usually like at, in terms of like measuring those, those features source was always like a really important one. And mm -hmm. so you, you're not gonna have that anymore. Um, now you might have this paid versus organic, you know, kind of uh, uh, feature, but uh, that's it, right? It won't be like, hey, this is a Facebook, you know, user from a VO campaign, right? You just won't have that anymore. Yeah. And then, okay, so in a, in a more sophisticated companies that that run a lot of A-B tests at the same time, uh, meaning that there's, you know, the relatively small cohorts, that, that becomes pretty much impossible because, you know, if you can't separate between even organics and paid, then they will be thrown, like the, the numbers will be all over the place. Yeah, I think I think another issue, you know, another PM kind of related issue that hasn't gotten too much um, kind of dialogue is is just the fact that a lot of the stuff is going to be shoved into the first twenty four hours anyway, right? Because if you think about, um, you, you know, well, if you've got twenty four hours even before the post back gets sent, and you've got it first, first of all, if you think about just A/B testing this stuff for the purposes of trying to drive that conversion value, um, you you've got to stuff it all into the twenty four hours right, to, to, to get that trigger to happen. Um, and, and so you're talking about probably like collapsing a lot of, you know, interactivity and content into the first 24 hours just to try to so, sort of assess who this user is. That's gonna make games like really weird, I think. Cause mm. you're gonna, you're gonna, you're just gonna have to, you're gonna have to shove so many like, 
like potential trigger points into the first 24 hours to, just to just to get a sense for how this user is going to monetize to to then use that to to determine what the conversion value you want to send back is mm. um you're just gonna have to kind of parse out a lot of signal from the user early on that you never really had to do like there was no rush um i think that's that's really going to change the way the games are designed and, and that kind of first session our first couple of sessions, um, the, the sort of look and feel of that is going to be very different. So let's let's take an example. Like let's say uh, League of Legends Wildcraft, the new MOBA from Riot on mobile. Like for example, in that game, what I would consider to be one of the first signals if I were a PM would be probably the uh, the tutorial flow. So in the tutorial, usually you can choose whether you're a total noob, whether you've played before MOBAs, or whether you're a League pro. And that is like the early choice that you make that is quite easy to categorize you at least on a three high level segments. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You'd have something like that. I mean, I think ideally though you'd be pushing people onto like a monetization path mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, you'd probably want to escalate that. Right. As people well, that would allow as... push me on, you on, on a monetization path. Like let's say you're a elite, you're, you're a lap, like you're a league pro. So you know what's yeah. up. Boom, you come in. Now I can, now, so offers are another thing that becomes very difficult, especially early on, because I don't know where the, where the player is coming from. I mean, of course, if it's a VO campaign, I actually, I don't even know if the player is coming out of VO campaign. So I can't yeah, give him a high level, like a, like a high value offer early on, because I know that these are most likely the, uh, the players that are going to convert. So right. in, a, in a case of league, like if I know this is a league OG coming to the game, I can show you an offer that a player who has played league would be excited about. Right. But if, but if you haven't played league before, I can show you a couple of, a couple of characters, a couple of champions and you'd be like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I've never, never seen these before. I don't know if they're good or not. I don't know if they're the, you know, the, the best in the game or so forth. So they don't resonate with you. Yeah. So, okay. Right. So, and yeah. Go ahead. No, no, that's, that's an interesting thing from like, I'm just thinking of with my PM hat on. It's like, how can I early on start, start segmenting players in multiple different ways by giving them options to, to take a path and then design multiple different paths for the first 24 yeah. hours. Uh, and then based on those paths that they should be leading towards the monetization. Because even if I, if I, let's say it's a shooter game and I'm early on seeing that you have not played shooters before, so, right. So I have a different type of tutorial funnel for you where you will be, you know, practicing shooting a little bit. You can try a couple of things. Then I can show you uh, maybe a starter pack at the end of the, the, the first session or maybe the second session that will give you multiple different weapons that especially the new players will want to have. And then again, if you're a more, more well-versed player and you don't go through the tutorial now, you're probably more interested in the customization options and stuff like that. So I'll be showing you those, those type of things. Yeah, exactly. And I think it going, you know, so the, the, the stuff about not knowing the campaign they came from, see, you have, you have no context whatsoever and you have no knowledge of what their knowledge is. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of this testing, um, the, the kind of like the cool personalization uh, projects that, that I've kind of been involved with, they, they have, they, they try to tie the early user experience to the ad that the user clicked on. Right. Cause that's, that's contextually, you know, what they yeah. were excited about. Right. And so, um, you know, that's impossible now. You have no idea what context they have coming into the, into the game, into the app. Um, I, keep, I keep generalizing to app, but you know, this is all about games. So let me, uh, let me just stick with games. No, but I think <laughs> the, uh, you know, I think the, the, the sort of, um, you know, your point about putting, put, putting them, trying to categorize them quickly is a good one. I think 
you've got to get that you've got to get that monetization signal down. It's, it's really got to be in the first session because again, you know, a lot of a lot of players play on like a twenty four hour cycle, right? Like this is my time for playing games. It's you know whatever six p.m. to seven p.m. and that's it. That's all I've got. And so you don't know if the next session you're going to get from them is twenty four hours later. And if it is, then you you have to you won't be able to capture any more signal on their second session. Right? Mm -hmm. It's all got to be in the first session. So I think you're going to see a lot of this stuff condensed into the first session. So like kind of to your example, you know, the shooter thing. Okay, I can tell that they clearly have never played a shooter before, right? So they're a newbie. So I show them the starter pack um, and it's kind of the, the sort of newbie oriented starter pack. And then I'm going to have to hit them up basically with like the upgrade of the starter pack immediately, right? Because I'm not going to get the chance in the second. I don't know if I'm going to get the chance in the second session or not, mm -hmm. right? And, and so I've really, you know, like a lot of times these sort of like starter pack progressions, like you've got starter pack one and then if they opt into that, You've got a starter pack two that comes like 24 hours later. You, you've got to condense all of that into like this immediate sequence of, of, uh, of offers. And like, that's just, that's, that's going to become like a new norm for people. And I, I think it actually might say, so, you know, you're going to have this kind of this knock on effect of like, okay, well, everyone's condensing all this stuff early on. And then players get accustomed to having, having to make like these big commitments early on. And so there, there may be like, like sort of like less flirtatious in a way, you know, there's, there's a, there's a sort of like profile player that kind of, bounces around and and i call them like window shoppers mm -hmm. um you know they'll come in and they'll, they might like you know they might buy the starter pack but then they kind of evaporate right they, they don't show back show back up and they'll just kind of bounce around they'll do like play three or four games by the starter packs um uh, just to see where they want to commit like now you're gonna have to commit fast you're gonna have to make that determination fast and i think like the the as a result of these design decisions that have to be made and then so player uh sort of like player behaviors are going to adapt to that and you're going to have people that'll come in and like, yeah, boom, 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 boom. I, I know I like this game and I'm all in. Yeah. I know that I have to decide quickly. Right. Um, anyway, it's going to be interesting to see how this, because I think that the, the sort of like the, the, the first session kind of content is going to just, it's going to become very, very different from what it looks like now across, you know, most, most games, like the games are fast follow and, and there aren't that many like really, you know, high, you know, PMs that really deeply understand monetization. So when you get a new mechanic, it tends to like, proliferate across all of gaming fast yeah um, i feel like in the next you know by end of q2 2021 like all of games are going to have like a totally different sort of like onboarding flow look and feel and like first session look and feel yeah yeah and then there's what do you think about the like well there's a conversion event in terms of monetization but what do you think about especially let's say you're having players come in that are clearly into this genre whether it's shooters whether it is mobas and you get them quickly into the social gameplay because you know that they really retain when they play with others. And that's kind of like your, your main trigger on the early gameplay. It's like, okay, you know what to play. Let's get you with others. Now, when you're playing with others, that's, that's yeah. how the monetization happens in social games. Yeah. Well, I think that'll be, that'll be uh, contextual, right? So I think that in what, what's, what's really interesting is just how, you know, these com companies are sort of like feeling this out, right. And deciding, okay. Cause you're going to have to make that choice what's the most what's what's the higher value signal from the user like what's the higher value thing that they do is that they made a purchase or is that they instantly jumped into like the guild environment and started um you know i think to, to me if i was thinking about a game that was that was truly social and you had a user come in and they made a purchase right and then you had a user come in and they didn't immediately make a purchase but they immediately joined a, a high engagement guild mm -hmm. to me that second user would be much more valuable like you know without knowing anything else um, yeah. just having a guess that second user would be much more valuable because they're probably invited by their friends into this guild. And that means they're, they're going to be very sticky, right? Cause that's just a very sticky, um, you know, 
pr prototype of a user. Exactly. That's 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 the way I was thinking. It's like because usually they uh, the, the 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 sort of a persistent monetization path happens when the player is joining some kind of a social gameplay and now they're either competing yeah. or collaborating and now they would be playing for a longer time and usually spending because they're part of a, of a community or, or a bigger entity instead of you know buying the first 199 pack because it was right. on a 700 sale and there was a timer <laughs> on it and they were like i might be playing this game and then they buy it and then after that pack you're like what did i even buy because i didn't understand what i bought and so also it was only two dollars so who cares like that's yeah right that's 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 what i'm kind of worried is a lot of pms will go for mainly for monetization and kind of forget that really the persistent uh, and long-term monetization is far more important than the early conversion yeah i mean getting people onto the sort of events um you know treadmill yeah, yeah. And, just playing yeah, with others asking others yeah. like what should i be doing and so forth like what happens in a, in a guild driven games or you know uh but it's it's a it's a tougher it's a tougher path, but I think um, I think you have to kind of have a balance, and that's why I was saying like it's important to understand what is the um, the experience of your player coming in early on. It's like you know whether it's a match three player, like how much matching they've done before. Of course, in match three games, they what they do is they put you in on that lizard brain brain path of just easy, easy, easy levels, <laughs> like yeah. 150 levels in. You're like I've been playing for three days, and now only the hard levels are starting to come in. So um, yeah, they have a little bit different approach. Uh, okay, so let's let's talk about soft launching. What happens with soft launching, and do we need to change the way we've been doing soft launches? Like, should we just instead um, instead of like, uh, well, there's the uh, the supercell path of like, hey, let's launch in in Canada, and now they're you know adding a couple other countries like Australia or New Zealand, and and just basically seeing the lookalike audience what it could be in the U.S. and making the call based on that. And then there's a sort of like a Rovia way with where they just straight up put stuff in, in us and just slowly grow from there. Uh, so what's, what's, what's the sort of optimal path for soft launch going forward, especially if the Apple's power is becoming far greater, not Apple's, but uh, app stores power, because if the, uh, when the idea gets out, the app store is more important in promotion. So now it probably doesn't make sense to launch directly in, in the U S because they want to have that, you know, um, the, the fanfare moment if they like your game. Yeah, I mean, it, it could it could be it could be more important. It's it's a question of whether it's it's relatively more important just because UA is is sort of like uh, less effective, or if they actually make featuring more valuable than it is now. Because as it stands now, featuring doesn't deliver a whole lot, right? The app store is like very busy now, like in terms of like editorial. Yeah. There's just a lot of stuff everywhere. Right, and it used to, you know, featuring circa 2014 was awesome because it was like, wow, this big banner and everybody saw it. Um, and that was good for, I mean, you know, millions potentially of, of installs. Now, I mean, those are like sort of uh, unqualified installs. It could be anybody, right? Um, but still, you know, millions nonetheless, and that really helped you drive your chart positioning. And then so that drove awareness too. And all that kind of stuff doesn't exist anymore. If they make featuring more powerful in some way, maybe they make it um, kind of personalized. So like, hey, we're gonna show your game to the people that are most engaged with that type of game. That'd be helpful, right? Those qualified users. But I don't know, feature, feature to me, I kind of lost its luster like 2017 when they changed the, um, when they did the app store update. 
Mm. Uh, and I just haven't seen anybody have a big, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Have you seen like some, have you seen companies get like massive, you know, tailwinds because of featuring no, after not, 2017? No, not like the last, last hurrah was, was uh, launch of Clash Royale when they had the other uh, two, like if you get yeah. right <laughs> for the year's end, that's money. That is, <laughs> they locked down the app store. Everybody's on holidays. Everybody's getting new devices and your yeah. game. I remember when, when Flash Royale had like multiple tabs on top, they got yeah. installs on installs for that game. It was insane. <laughs> they, they got like the full on like blitz. That was, I remember that they, they, they had like the main banner and then they had like the mini banners below yeah. and each one had like a character. Yeah, man. That every, must have taken some uh, some steak dinners. That, <laughs> every, every exec was going to Apple after that. Can we get the Clash Royale treatment? How can we yeah. get the Clash Royale treatment? But listen, they they hired they they have a new new person heading. I forgot his name, but the new person heading uh, App Store Discovery. So they might be changing that now that the uh, App Store has more power in the future. So, yeah, you no, know, you never know. Um, all right. So so uh, what about? What about ad monetization? Like if your game has mon ad monetization, how, how important that is, especially when there's a lot of talk about this hybrid casual or hybrid monetization models where you have both in-app purchases and ads. And like, that's the, that's the new frontier. You should have more ads in your game. And it's a, it's like a lost revenue if you don't have them. What do you think happens to ad monetization? Well, let me go back to the soft launch thing. Cause I think, um, oh. You know, I, I, think, I don't think soft launch is like fundamentally changed. I've, I've seen a lot more companies going with the slow burn anyway, where they'll just sort of like slowly mix in countries. Um, because the, the problem with, and you know, the problem with soft launching is like, you know, you do the, the Canada, Australia thing. Um, you know, you're, you're really, you, you just need to do that in kind of like these, you need to do this in like, in, on like a cadence, right? Like, cause it, you could, you, you'll burn through the relevant audience in, in Canada and Australia with lookalikes, um, especially if you're doing like VO campaigns, like in soft launch, you'll burn through those audiences fast, right? And so you're doing like, every, you're doing like these beats, these, these marketing beats where like you'd have a release, you'd do like three days of UA and then you'd stop and you'd like kind of track those cohorts and then you do the same thing. Um, and then, so that's really easy then if you're doing that kind of, that kind of soft launch, like, hey, I do a release, I do three days of UA, it's using like kind of qualified lookalike audiences which, by the way, won't work anymore because uh, Facebook is getting rid of lookalikes that are driven from custom audiences, right? So now lookalikes are only possible from live campaigns. So you'd say, okay, find me users that are uh, like the ones in these campaigns that I've been running that have converted. Oh, wait a minute. And what, what does that mean in practice? So when, when I'm in the Facebook campaign manager and I put in all these all these elements that I need in my game, like I need players who like baking and coffee and that kind of stuff. Like, is that going yeah. away? No, that's those are that's just interest group targeting. Okay, that's, good, that's, good. That'll not go away. But but now, I mean, so you know, lookalikes were kind of like the 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 cheat code, right? To to sort of like skip the kind of the build up phase, right? Because if you had, um, you know, especially if you're you're at a company that's got multiple games live you say okay well, i want users to look like these these spenders in game a and i'm soft launching game game b so i'll build a, i'll just use i'll upload a list of of idfas of users from game a that spent and game a and game b are similar um and then i'll upload that list and i'll say hey uh, this is a custom audience called like high spenders game a mm -hmm. and then i'll say hey facebook find me users that look like high the the high spenders game a list i just sent you 
And so that just like gets you, that just sort of like accelerates you down that path that start from that, from that cold start position into like, Hey, well, we know who we want to go look for. So like, let's get more. And then if you get into that flywheel of like, yeah, these, these users perform really well. Um, so continue to, and so I'm going to then upload a list from game B that are even more directly relevant, right? Cause now I have people that have spent in game B, I can upload that list. And then you just keep up, you keep updating that list as you get more and more spenders and it, it turns into that sort of acquisition flywheel. We can't do that anymore. Facebook has said, we don't, we're not going to take, we're not going to take emails or IDFA. You're not going to have IDFAs. Facebook's not going to have IDFAs anymore because they're getting rid of them from their system mm -hmm. or they're ignoring them because they're not even going to show the ATT prompt. Um, and so, and they said, we don't want your emails. Apple has said, you can't do lookalike targeting. We don't want your email list. Um, if you want to do a lookalike, it has to be based on an existing live cam or a live campaign that had been live at one point in that app. And you'd have to say, well, okay, find me users that were um, like the users from this campaign that converted. Well, the thing is, if you're launching a new game, you've never done marketing for it, right? So you truly have a cold start problem um, and you have, no, you have no users that have monetized because it's a brand new game. And so you just have to do that interest targeting to get you know, kind of like less qualified users in. And then as those users start spending money, you can say, hey, Facebook, find me users that look like the ones from this campaign that have converted, right? So lookalikes are kind of, they're changing pretty fundamentally on Facebook. So that kind of that aspect of the stop launch, you know, where you've got like this cheat codes where you say, hey, find me users like this because I know that they're qualified users. And if that campaign does well, then, you know, OK, that's a proof point. Right. Like that's a, that's yeah. a big support of launching the game. That, that's that's problematic with companies with larger portfolios or companies that that were acquiring other companies to kind of gain access faster to certain genres. Yeah, it is. Like Apple having bought Machine Zone, and I would assume that one of the points there is not per se the uh, the, the portfolio of Machine Zone uh, or the talent. Like I mean, those two are, are kind of important. But the uh, the third point would be the marketing data, especially the lookalike audience. Like if you want to enter the four X genre where it's super whale driven, really difficult, yeah. then acquiring a company that has been doing marketing for that audience for past seven years, getting all yeah, that at scale, incredibly yeah. valuable. And now and he's got, yeah. And he's got users that have spent hundred K. <laughs> yeah. Well, hundreds of K's, like probably millions. And, and now losing, like, basically what you're saying is if I was say app loving and I acquired machine zone and I gain all that data and now I can launch multiple Forex games from my other studios. Yeah. And you're like, well, cool story, but you can't use look like audience. Like you have to start from the ground up. So I just basically lost the, uh, the, the big value of, of acquiring machine zone. Is that, yeah, it could, it could be, I mean, oh, have, wow. have you heard that? Have you heard that story about the, um, the machine zone guy who got arrested on the tarmac trying to leave the country? No. What happened? So I, 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 I always thought this was like, like a myth or just like an old wives tale kind of thing, but it's, I asked somebody and they said, it's, it's true. Um, so, so there's this engineer at machine zone and he's like, he's a, I guess a Chinese national and, um, he was going back to China. I, I don't know. I don't, rem I don't remember in, in the story if, if it was kind of like announced that he was leaving for like vacation or if he just didn't tell anybody, but anyway, he like sticks a thumb drive in his computer right before he, he leaves for the airport and just downloads all of the high value LTV or the high LTV user IDFAs oh my God. on his thumb drive. Goes to the airport, he's on the tarmac, the plane's about to take off and the FBI pulls up like with the SUVs like blocking the plane and they board the plane and they like haul him off 
and uh, and he, I guess he got arrested. Like he was trying to, he was trying to. I guess some company had basically said, "Hey, if you bring us this list, you know, if you land <laughs> in in Beijing or wherever, um, then you know, we'll give you X amount of money for these IDFAs." Oh, so close. So yeah. close. It's like uh, it's like the the bad the bad version of the ending of Fargo, uh, uh, Argo. Yeah, you know, with, yeah, but it's, it's but it's like that just goes to show you that you know there's there's real value right in these IDFAs. And if you're you know if you were trying to launch a forex building a battle game, you know you probably couldn't do much better right than having this big list of machines on IDFAs to to sort of kick that exploration process off with. Yeah, yeah, uh, agree. Um, okay, so yeah, that that especially gives a little more weight to uh, to why Apple having acquired Machines uh, back in in the beginning of this year. Uh, but they did that before the IDFA deprecation was was announced. So I think I don't know that might have been a little bit of a different story, if or at least different price, assuming that the uh, the uh, they wouldn't have known about the IDFA. Yeah, it could have been. Um, I think you know I think. If you think about like the just the impact on the mechanics of the soft launch, though, like it's it, that's it's it's a really big change, like the the way that people have done soft launches. Soft launches are sort of you know they're 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 uh, accelerated because of the because of the ability to do that. Now, if you have to start from zero, because if you've ever like I've helped you know a number of gaming startups kind of start from zero, right? Like they have no they have nothing. And to get them to the point where they've got enough payers to even start doing lookalikes, it's slow and it's time consuming. And you're just experimenting with a lot of different stuff. Um, you're experimenting with a lot of different like interest targets and, uh, and, and, and trying to figure out like, you know, what the, you know, and you don't have much uh, ROI data. So you, you're not sure if like what you're seeing early on um, with like the LTV progression is good or not. So like not, so, because you don't have the lookalikes, you don't know if the users you're, you're getting are good or not, right? Mm -hmm. Or if they're the best possible. And so you're just like constantly experimenting with different like um, targeting, you're bringing in cohorts and you're assessing their, their sort of like LTV curve in real time because you don't have like an underlying base, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of break even LTV curve to deal with. So you're kind of doing both of those things at the same time, it just takes a lot of data. Mm -hmm. And that's why having the, these user lists were so valuable. It's just like, well, okay, we don't really know. We're not. We're not. We don't know what the LTV curve is supposed to look like, but we know these are good users, and so we'll get the LTV curve from these users, and we can kind of trust that we probably couldn't get a better LTV curve than from these users, right? So this sort of establishes the standard, and then we'll we'll build out the LTV curve, and we can continue to project it out as we get you know more and more days of data and see where we would break even. Well, if you don't know if the users are good or not, you're getting these users in and these cohorts from different targets, and you're trying to determine, okay, are these good users? Um, are these, the, is this the standard or are these actually not the users we would be targeting at scale? And it just, it's, so you just need much, much, much more data. It's much more time consuming. So a soft launch and that kind of like under those circumstances could take, you know, 10 X as long. It's really frustrating. Hmm. Um, if you're at a, you know, if you're at a big studio where you, you know, you're not going to make a big launch decision kind of recklessly. Um, if you're at a startup, you just have to make a decision at some point anyway. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just like that. I feel like this is going to make a soft launch you're going to go back to this, 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 uh, really like grueling kind of like an anxious, um, stressful situation where you're not sure if the data you're getting is good. You're not sure if you can trust the underlying LTV, like the ROAS curves that you're, you're building out because these aren't the right users that you'd be acquiring at scale anyway. 
and there's just a, so much guesswork. I don't know. Soft, soft launches to me were always like, like really, um, you know, kind of like pre lookalikes. They were just like, it was just, it was just a really like annoying period of the game's, uh, you know, development life cycle because it's like there was so much uncertainty and a lot of execs really don't deal well with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're constantly having to like calm people down and like, you know, handle their like psychology. I don't know that to me, soft launches like sucks pre sort of like, yeah, let's just do AEO based on the lookalikes from a similar game in our portfolio. And we'll know pretty quickly whether this game monetizes or not. Right. That, that was just much more clear. I, I feel like there's going to be a lot. Like, I love those execs that are just swinging for the fences and then be like, it's, it's the data is wrong. Let's just launch the game. Let's just go big. Let's just, let's just see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's going to happen when there's a lot of conflicting numbers. Some execs will yeah. just, just, just launch it. Just launch it. Trust me. This is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those. And then the part like no no not yet like no 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 we're hitting this <laughs> uh, yeah but I, I understand at the same time you're especially with the bigger teams and by that time your team has scaled the costs are quite big every month and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and the numbers are all over all are all over the place so you kind of have to make the call so you mentioned lpv curves like you know, in the more sophisticated studios, we had multiple different LTV curves based on the channel, but I assume that going into the future, we'll basically have one LTV curve back to that. Yeah, I mean, well, you won't be, it certainly won't be attributable to a channel. Mm -hmm. um, I, so my sense is that like you, you, you will even have like an in-product LTV curve kind of. Um, that doesn't sound like it makes sense, but I feel like it won't, you won't have, you won't, the, the sort of LTV curve distinction won't be across channels. Like, cause your sort of traffic mix is just gonna look like one big blob, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the user level, you can't distinguish. Um, so you'll you'll have um, kind of like within, you'll have like qualified, you know, you'll have like qualified LTV curves on the basis of early user behaviors, right? And so like, if a user comes in and did this, this, and this, and this, and we sort of like categorize them as like a high potential player, their LTV curve looks like this. Um, and that's what you'll do the projections on the basis of. Right, and thinking about those cohorts, it's like okay, of of the people that started our game yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. Now keep in mind, any user that started your game yesterday, you won't even have, um, you won't even have counts at the campaign level for those users, right? Because you you you're, you're going to have with the SK Ad Network framework, we're going to have precise counts of how many people from each campaign join the game, right? Um, but we we won't know when. Right, because there's no there's no date on a on SK network pushback, and that timer system obfuscates the date of um, of installing the game relative to the date that they started playing, right? Because uh, or, or sorry, the, the the date of 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 uh, them clicking the ad relative to the date of them starting to play, because there's no there's no date on the pushback and that timer system, right? So if they reset the timer. Um, or the randomized timer, put them in a different day. You just have no idea what day they actually um, click on the ad, right? And so, so if you're like thinking about yesterday's cohort data and because of the timer system, it's gonna take up to three days to get the post backs. You won't even know like, hey, yesterday, what did the traffic mix look like? You won't know. You'll know like three days ago what the traffic mix looked like, but you won't know what yesterday looked like, right? So even just in terms of paid counts, just not, not and you'll never know which user came from which campaign, but. Um, you'll know like three days ago, okay, of all of our paid traffic, you know, 20% or 30% came from Facebook. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll know that, but on, on the basis, but not for yesterday, right? And that's where a lot of these decisions right now are made, right? So I think just in general, these decision-making timelines are going to extend because 
you know, you're not even going to get reliable post back counts for three days. And that's on Facebook. Some, some networks might not do that 24 hour limit thing. Uh, I think most will, but um, so you're, you know, you're talking kind of like, you know, this, this three, three to four day period where you're, you have no idea what the sort of traffic mix look like. Oh. Right. And so just that timeline is going to extend. So you're not going to be able to do like this yet. Hey, yesterday we had 40% of our players coming from Facebook and blah, blah, blah. Um, so my point is though, what I think you'll do is you'll say, okay, well, um, yesterday, the only data we really have was just how people who, whom we were seeing in the game for the first time, um, we don't know when they actually installed, um, but who, whom we know that we're playing the game for the first time, how they behaved, right? So we, and we can categorize them on that basis. Okay, we think that ten, five, you know, 5% of users look like they're gonna spend money. Um, and of those five, I don't know, whatever, 2% of those five look like they're gonna become, you know, high value players. And, and then, and so here's how we think those LTV curves are gonna progress. Um, and then, uh, you know, here's how we think, uh, you know, we can kind of sum up those values. And we, you'll know, you know, when, when you get the post back data, like three days later, you'll know, Kind of which conversion values those uh, those groups of people triggered, like in counts, right? And so you'll be able to kind of use that to sum up like a potential like LTV across that day's cohorts. Um, but I think like you, you'll be thinking about this more from like that that CRME perspective of like, hey, this user did these things, and so they're probably a good user, and so probably maybe their LTV looks like this, um, and that's what we think ultimately they're going to be, uh, you know, going to spend in our game. And and you might kind of sum up the estimated revenue that way and then think about think about it that way relative to what you spent yesterday but that's gonna mm -hmm. be very very fuzzy shit um okay and so well let's talk about two more things so ad monetization like what, what's your view on that is it is you know is it becoming weaker yeah i mean i think you can expect it you know the cpms are just going to compress by a lot i mean we, we talked about this yesterday in the in the twig podcast but yeah. You know, the, the, it, it depends on what genre you're in, right? Like if you're in the casual genre, um, it, you probably expect 15 to 20% um, just, just decrease, like just a step change. Um, if you're in hyper casual, I mean, this could be like very catastrophic. I mean, I, I think, you know, 50%, maybe even more because, you know, the, 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 the hyper casual CPMs is just supported by, you know, you've got basically hyper casual custom, the people that want to buy hyper casual inventory are hyper other hyper casual games. Yes. Right. So you've got this, you've got this kind of like um, baseline demand just from other hyper casual games. Cause, cause the whole, the whole, um, the, the sort of the measure of success for a hyper casual game is how big it is because the bigger it is, the bigger the DAU is, the more uh, probability that there are whales kind of like swirling around there that other games can poach via you know, via sort of like programmatic inventory managed or self-serve, um, you know, via the IDFA. Right. So the bigger the bigger your GAU base is, the more likely that, you know, there are, you know, X whales in there, the higher probability there's there's various whales in there and then the people can post those whales. And that's what support and that's really what supports the CPM uh, for hyper casual games, because those whales get poached like, you know, uh, Lord's Mobile poaches some whale that, or that some person that they know is, is a whale and they're retargeting them um, and they find them in, you know, whatever, uh, tie the knot. That's what supports the hyper casual CPM. So you've got this all hyper casual games buying from each other to kind of like build this like baseline level of DAU. And there's kind of like some incremental new DAU coming in because, you know, they get some of them get visibility and uh, just from chart positioning and, 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 and they're getting like, you know, new ones are getting kind of an influx of, of new users. And they're all just like swirling around this, this hyper casual ecosystem because they're all being bought from each other. 
Um, and then, and they all kind of, they all sort of monetize about the same level and they all have like similar click through, click through rates, like the, the, the successful companies. Mm -hmm. And so it's just basically like traffic trading, but they're paying. And then every once in a while, like a Lord's mobile or somebody like, uh, poaches a whale, um, you know, via liftoff or via, uh, you know, whatever DSP. Um, and, and so then that's, that, that's what, that's what, you know, pays the bills for these companies. That that's what, that's what makes the business viable. And now that just won't be possible. Right. So like, none of these none of these apps the, the, the hyper casual apps that are buying their dau from these other hyper casual apps won't be able to afford that anymore because the economics are not going to sustain that because they're not getting those whales poached and so like i feel like the bottom is just going to completely fall out under from that industry because they, they from that segment they won't be able to buy traffic from each other anymore the dau is going to collapse um and then their traffic is basically considered you know worth zero mm -hmm. to anybody that isn't buying a specific user, right? Like if you just look at the traffic on average, it's basically worthless, um, you know, just, just from a media buying standpoint, unless you know the particular user that you're buying. And so no one's going to be buying from them anymore, right? And they're not going to be buying from each other because they're not getting the whales poached in their apps, which supports the CPMs. And so I think like just all of a sudden almost, so it doesn't matter if the CPMs go down by 20%, if they go down by 50%, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, on average be, be across the industry, because for them, the, the, the whole reason of, for being like the whole reason for existence was creating that, that big pool in which a lot of potential whales could be swimming around. And that's just not going to be, um, that'll still be the case, but like they, they won't be poachable anymore. Right. And then, and because of that, they won't be able to afford to buy from each other. Right. And so like the only hyper casuals that are going to be left are the ones that just get like a dramatic amount of, of, of sort of like free organic traffic. Mm -hmm. shit uh yeah and, and yeah well probably the the companies that, that also have a mediation platform are are gonna still do well with their hyper casuals but but especially like the individual companies are gonna suffer yeah and i, I think though like the, the further kind of the further away you get from that end of the spectrum the hyper casual spectrum i think like the cpm drop is is less precipitous but it's still be yeah. it's, still, it's still gonna be significant right i mean i think uh, my guess is like at a minimum you're looking at like 15 20 percent and so, you know, if you're, you know, a casual game and I don't know, 30% of your revenue is coming from uh, ads, then that's a meaningful amount. So it's, it's you're going to feel that. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Last one is not fake ads. Let's talk about misleading ads or leading ads. Uh, the, the type of ads that, that, um, that can either show a totally fake gameplay or the ads that show a certain type of a story some kind of a lead in into your game. And when players come through those ads, they have actually some kind of a pre uh, predisposed idea on, of what this game is about. But going post IDFA, we won't see the based on campaign, like we won't see the back end of that. There's no campaign level visibility after install, am I correct? And that kind of leads to these ads um, being more riskier because if you show something totally different and you might do your testing, your funnel testing, through you know stuff like Geek Lab, and you test it out, and it shows great, uh, great IPM. But nevertheless, if you don't see how it affects, like how those players actually perform in your game, they become quite risky, right? Yeah, well, you'll know the campaign ID because um, that's part of the postback. But you know, you only get a hundred of those. Mm -hmm. um, and you won't know the creative ID, right? Yes. And you know, then. Now, if you think about like the way Facebook AAA campaigns are set up, like that doesn't, you know, the campaign ID is not helpful. Um, so, yeah, you won't you won't have that insight. 
Um, and, but I think the, the bigger issue is, you know, that's important from a, from a product standpoint and knowing that the user came in from this ad and, and what, their, what, what their sort of context is coming in. But it's also like those ads just won't work because, you know, they're not tested and optimized for different sub-segments anymore, right? Like, I mean, we talked about this at length in the last episode, so I don't, I don't want to go back over it, but just that ability to test, those ads don't work for everybody. They work for specific people. Um, and they work for a specific reason. And so you, you won't be able to test those at like massive scale anymore because Facebook is only going to have 100 campaign IDs and they, they won't be able to sub-segment the, the sort of total population out as granularly anymore. So like it would, it's going to be like shown to random people that, you know, the te testing for creative is going to be a lot slower because of the campaign ID limitation. So it, you just won't be able to test that into like an optimal setup anymore. And so it's, it'd be like just showing these weird ads to like big, big audiences that they're not going to work on. Mm. Shit. All right. A lot of, so as a, as a takeaway, um, well, okay. One last question. How can a product team help marketing team? Well, I think, I think, you know, this sort of you, this is like, I, I feel like this is the moment where the UA function really does kind of cease to exist. Um, and, you know, I've been talking about this for a long time, you know, the future of growth teams. I wrote a post a couple of years ago that was, was pretty popular called the future of growth teams. And like these, these have kind of been like merging kind of like if you've ever seen, you know, um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos. Yeah, he, he, he showed like there's these two stars that are going to um, collide and then merge at some point uh, or no, it's two solar systems. Um, and they had a really cool animation. Uh, well, that's kind of what, what, what's been happening for a long time anyway, because it's just like, you know, product people had to sort of get uh, more and more acquainted with the sort of UA ecosystem and the, you know, the mechanics of UA. And a lot of people did so through my online course, uh, mobile, modern mobile marketing at scale, um, which I'm still running the uh, discount for, oh, uh, I believe yeah. it was 20% uh, off, off DOF 20 learn dash mobile dash marketing.com. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, product people had been sort of like, moving further and further up funnel because they really had to understand the mechanics of UA and in, in, in understanding how their players, what context the players were coming in with and, you know, how to best sort of segment them and group them and serve them right with, with the game. And then UA people had to move deeper into the funnel because they had to understand all these different signals that were being sent back to the algorithms, right. That optimize the campaigns because they weren't doing that anymore. Right. And they had to kind of understand more about how the product was, um, was surfacing these insights that got sent to the, to the networks. And so, these kind of these two sort of uh, you know functional teams were sort of on the collision path anyway. I feel like this is when they just sort of uh, collide and this new solar system is born, um, which is like this kind of hybrid UA uh, early product person um, who's who's really deeply uh, ingrained with the product team and is making like potentially you know big decisions about that first 24 hour um, period of, of of sort of engagement. But it's also sort of like interfacing with the, the various ad platforms. I feel like this, there's a whole new, um, you know, specialization that's going to be born out of this. Mm. Okay. Uh, and well, I think a lot of, a lot of like more experienced product managers have been going to that direction. Uh, I know a lot of product managers have been really investing into understanding better how performance marketing has worked. So I think, yeah. And especially a lot of, a lot of UI people have also been investing in understanding how, how product, how games work and what really drives them. So I think somewhere in between makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So as a takeaway from, from this one, as a product person, what I would be focusing on is really that first 24 hours 
uh, in the game design, I'll be sitting down with the designers, uh, kind of creating different paths, two, three different paths for players, depending on how experienced they are in this certain genre, and then putting a lot of a lot of triggers around those to to um, to basically signal on on signal me on, on how well they convert. So it, what I'm trying to say is like, if there are players who are very experienced with this certain genre, I would be definitely pushing them towards uh, more social gameplay, offering them certain elements that, they, that have clear value uh, for more experienced players. And again, if there are more noobs, then I'll be, I'll be handholding them much more, creating that, that pattern of retention where they feel they're making a lot of progress and then trying to end the 24 hour cycle with something that speeds them up as they've been repetitively doing a lot of things that they feel good about. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's very valuable advice. Okay, all right. Well, thank you, Eric, so much. This is gonna be the last growth trigger of the year. We're gonna come back next year. And till then, highly suggested to do the, uh, the, the online course on Mobile Dev Memo, get that 20% off, get the gift of learning, gift of knowledge, and it will be it be much appreciated by whoever you work for, whether you work for yourself or for the company uh, that that you know a lot. When when this these big changes are coming in, so you're going to gain gain a hell of advantage. Yeah, and uh, happy holidays, Miska, and uh, we'll see you in uh, 2021. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye.